Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag. And I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right? I mean, no, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays a means floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get a mean in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Tom, steam dumpling or pan fried dumpling? If I'm there, I'm going to go with steamed. If I'm takeout, it's fried. Oh, good answer. Preparation and context means everything. Though I think I think in general the answer is steam. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom. We have uh, one of our favorite episodes every single season uh, is we, we get to bring on an oldest pin colleague. And uh, do you want to do the proper introduction? This is always honestly one of my absolute favorite episodes of Pack Your Knives every season. Um, who do we have with us today? Mina Kimes, the Mina Kimes coming uh, coming into this season of, of Top Chef. We know that she's been watching and we've kind of been holding her just like waiting until we get further into the competition because this is when it gets really good. This is when there's, uh, you know, everybody who goes home at this point uh, is basically a deserved winner. So now that we have like basically three quarters of the season done, uh, I can't wait to hear what Mina has to say. She's coming um, from e- ESPN's NFL uh, coverage, and she does an amazing job at ESPN, but also just like 
everything. I know the Brooklyn Nets got eliminated from the NBA mm-hmm. playoffs earlier and that you're upset about that. And you probably have some NBA takes that you want to share. Uh, but this is pack your knives. This is top chef, our beloved show. Thank you for joining us this week. Hi, the, this is great timing for me. The top chef season heats up as the NFL season winds down. It's almost like it was designed that way for me personally. And creates an opportunity for me to join you guys. So I couldn't be happier. Right. And also you're, you're like, we do our draft preseason, obviously, yeah. uh, pack your knives. There is the slightest of positive correlations between our spe- our, our prognosis and actual reality, which is, which is still kind of sad. Um, but like you, you marinate in drafts and appraising talent and future talent, like yeah. all spring long. So I feel like it is wonderful to extract you from NFL draft madness, which goes on for weeks and then like plop you into okay, weeks. reading the t- tried the months? 12 months. It yeah. Is, it, months. No, it, thank you for clarifying. Cause when I said the NFL season winds down, I'm sure some people who don't follow football that closely were, were like, well, isn't the Super Bowl in February? But yes, the, my work does not really end until the draft ends. There's the combine right after the Super Bowl, and for the months after the Super Bowl, it's entirely uh, being immersed in draft preparation and you know watching college tape and such. And then it's and then it's over. I have kind of a teacher like schedule, so more time to devote to Top Chef, more time to spend with you guys. Have you been watching every week, or do you binge it um, in like one sitting when you have the time? I watch every week, um, usually after the fact, not live. But um, it's not hard to avoid Top Chef spoilers these days, so I have not been spoiled any particular week. Uh, give us your unified theory before we dig into what I think is one of the best episodes of the season, the mm. Wellington Challenge. Give us sort of your unified theory of Top Chef Twenty All Star Europe. I mean, where like you're you're kind of big 40,000 view uh, foot view of the season. High level of proficiency is probably where to start, right? Uh, from the jump, there's no cannon fodder this year, which is what happens when it, I mean, it's an all-star season, but it's not just an all-star season. It's all-stars from around the world, meaning a lot of people who have actually won their respective seasons, a lot of people who are very successful. So you know, just not that many outrageous screw-ups, um, not that much interpersonal drama, which is kind of what happens when you get people who are really, really good, I think, unless you're the Golden State Warriors. Uh, and I've enjoyed that aspect of it. The challenges themselves have been a little bit up and down for me. Um, some mm-hmm. of the elimination challenges I've liked better than others. I think uh, there have been some that didn't really give the chefs the opportunity to showcase, I think, what they're capable of, perhaps. Um, but for the most part, I've really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the personalities. Uh, it's a nice thing for an all-star season to be introduced to new personalities and fall in love with, you know, your Ali's and your Victoires and your Gabri's and all these amazing chefs from around the world. And I love watching them work together. It's, uh, it's kind of like what, uh, the United Nations should be. Uh, so it's it, it, like just from a, a human perspective, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, the last week, Restaurant Wars, um, uh, I guess two weeks ago it was, right? Was it two weeks ago, Restaurant Wars? I don't know. No, it would have been last to week. Forget it. Yeah. Uh, last week was Tali, right? The- oh, Tali, right, oh, right. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. Mina, what was your thought on Restaurant Wars? We were pretty strong about it, but um, I, just to give you a, a heads up, I was... I just felt like it was a restaurant wars. It, it was wasn't. a restaurant wars, yeah. That's, I mean, and but, but there's a lot of people who don't like restaurant wars because they don't like seeing someone eliminated for, you know, putting scented candles on the table or whatever <laughs> the things of, you know, some of the foibles of the past. Um, and there was part of me that 
I didn't mind that they didn't have to build the restaurant. I think that is usually kind of silly. But I do think the front of house management aspect always is an interesting challenge that's sometimes rewarded, too. It's not just a gimme job like the the judges do acknowledge the difficulty of that. Uh, so to have that taken away, it really just kind of felt like, OK, they're making a meal. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. I just mm-hmm. think it didn't lend itself to the tension. And again, I don't yeah. need professional wrestling. Yeah, I, I like I, I think the show's gotten a little too cordial in previous the most recent seasons. But at the same time, I, I do want you want sort of the stress of competitive, talented people. And that is one of the reasons you watch a challenge show. I, I actually now have a new theory. And, and Tom, uh, hopefully we'll have an opportunity to kind of schmooze with some uh, insiders in the, in the next couple of weeks. But I have I have a feeling that there might have been some uh, the death of the queen contingencies that they had to do or maybe they yes. couldn't mm. do the full build out. Like I'm actually I, I now fully convinced that there was sort of like monarchy madness that contributed to the inability for them to kind of really stage a, a true restaurant war. Um, I loved this episode. I'm just going to, I mean, let's moving into to, to, to the Wellington challenge and the bizarre dishwasher steamer um, cross promotional <laughs> quick fire, which, you know, was fine. Uh, I, I really liked this week and I'm with you, Mina. I kind of, I, I go back and forth because I, sometimes I get frustrated with team challenges because invariably someone coasts or someone just sort of gets by on the strength of their teammate or someone gets screwed by the incompetence of their teammate and you don't get to kind of isolate the chef's talents. But I'm also with you. Like I do, there is something about watching, especially once you really get to know the characters working together. But I, I just, I thought this was, in fact, in some ways I thought this had all the like, stress of a restaurant war challenge um that, that didn't appear in, in the previous in the in the restaurant war and i just love this episode i liked it too when they first announced the wellington aspect of it i was really skeptical maybe because i just don't like beef wellington yeah i'm not into it either right yeah and i was like yeah. this sounds really boring and basic but i think this and, and actually the quick fire um achieved a similar uh, effect it really became about technical proficiency uh, and creativity, but really about technical proficiency. And I like, I felt like I learned a lot about the preparation of food from watching them because yes. the challenge of the Wellington is not the act, the flavor profile or making a beef Wellington. It's okay. Th- this layering technique and the cooking and the, all, all the things that go into that. And there's so many little things that go into that. And it was really interesting to hear the chef's individually talk about how they approached that challenge obviously led to some issues um, so I ended up liking it a lot more once it happened than, you know, when it was introduced in the first place. Right. And I think that we saw last week, Amar did a clean sweep and we had actually two, uh, Buddha and Gabri had a clean sweep, starting with mm. the, the quick fire challenge, which was create a dish, uh, with a steamed element. Um, and they had this weird, like opening up the dishwasher and here's a pot and you have to share all the water in the pot. And you could almost feel Padma's uh, just disappointment when they were like, when she asked, Hey, so uh, did you have any problems with uh, the number, the, the amount of water that you had? And they looked, looked at each other and said, no, it was fine. And it really didn't seem like a very limiting uh, element of that of that challenge. So they had to uh, create a steam dish. They had to share all the different, uh, you know, different 
portions of water, which uh, Sarah Bradley was like the um, was the the mother hen there who was just like, I'm going to take this and this is how we're going to do it. And it worked out great. Uh, they didn't seem to have any issues with that. Um, and so, yeah, it was a steamed element or a steamed dish. Kevin, what do you think? Um, right. So, so a gallon has 16 cups of water. So they each person got like 2.6667 cups of or two and two thirds cups of water. I love that. Um, yeah. I, no, I, I thought it was actually, and you kind of saw how, you know, Gabri understood the challenge, right? Which is, Hey, um, one of the great things you can do in, in many cultures, when you want to steam protein, you just wrap it in a banana leaf or an agave leaf or a bamboo or so you, you kind of use plantness like a, a plant leaf to sort of conduct that, 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 that sort of chemistry. And he, brilliantly said, yeah, I'm going to do michiote. And michiote is almost like, the way I understand michiote, it's sort of, it's like tamale without the, the, the masa. Like, it's like protein tamale. And so, hey, I'm just going to wrap these lovely seafood elements in this sauce and do a great sauce. And, like, that is the challenge. Like, he got it. In fact, it's not a coincidence that Buddha and Gabri had, in my opinion, kind of the most similar, um, as, along with Ali, um, who had the most kind of similar um, items, right? Like, they did the, let's wrap protein in a leaf and um it's not a coincidence that two of the three top the finish on the top did that so um and you know it was not a surprise to me like you know tom is such he's such an interesting contestant because he is clearly like incredibly creative uh but there is is for a guy who likes to play with moose and textures like this is the second time he's kind of not gotten the texture of a mousse correctly. So he had this lovely idea of scallop mousse with chorizo, but the texture was off, not unlike his sort of pumpkin thing that could have won the challenge, but instead almost got him eliminated. So for a guy who is kind of technically oriented, he's a guy who also hasn't really kind of, at least within the confines of Top Chef this season, yeah. hasn't kind of, just has trouble with the, but I appreciate his aspirational sensibility. It's just like, eh, you didn't do the mousse again. None of those sound good to me. <laughs> Whenever he makes them, we're like, yeah, oh, I used agar and I made this moose. And it's like, <laughs> moose you know, is one of those things, right? Like, I it's mean, kind of, yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I, I guess you know, there's been times in fine dining where I've kind of enjoyed the preparation and the flavors that come along with it. But when you put that next to, you know, a seafood hot pot, I'm going to take the seafood hot yeah, pot exactly. every time. Yeah. Um, Amar, uh, you know, steamed and then pan fried the dumpling, which kind of yeah. flew in the face of the challenge. I will say, though, you guys talked about this at the beginning. I prefer pan fried dumplings. Because I'm Korean, and that's how we make mandu. That's how I made made it growing up. But um, it, steamed dumplings, steamed fish preparations, Asian cooking—you know—it's obviously a lot of them went in that direction. Um, it's something that I've, I've, you know, it can be very, very, very delicious and very fragrant, and you know, really. I think it, it's a cha- it, it was a challenge, but as they started working on it, it. it I was like, oh, this is not that challenging. There's so many different things you could, ways you could take this. And I think that's why none of them were like super pressed, even though, as you said at the beginning, they made it sound like it would be kind of difficult. Mina, when you are at the judge's table and Padma says, is this the texture you're going for? (laughs) Yes. Or what exactly did you steam here? Which one is more (laughs) just a death blow? Anytime, to your, to your ego. anytime texture is brought up, it's bad. <laughs> like if, if a judge ever says anything about uh, the the texture of a dish, you know, you're you're screwed. Um, what exactly but, did you yeah. steam here? That's never a good sign <laughs> when they can't even tell that you followed the the, ch- the challenge, the brief. That's that's never good. Yeah. 
Yeah, that. Uh, I mean, uh, there were no real stinkers, right? I mean, I guess Sarah Sarah's dish was. I think she even knew was yeah. like. I I don't know why I did this. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was steamed cabbage, which is soft. Steamed scallops, which are pretty soft. Tofu puree, which is going to be really soft. Um, but it's okay. I mean, there is always this thing. I I look, quick fire doesn't have a lot of penalty. I mean, hell, we don't even penalize yeah. in our scoring system, Tom. Like finishing on the bottom of a quick fire. Uh, it, it is it's sort of like the unspoken tacit understanding of Top Chef, which is, hey, for pride of profession, you want to do well in a quick fire because you don't want to embarrass yourself on national television. But it kind of doesn't really matter. Um, it's load and, management. It's right. it's hey, if you need a day off or a challenge off, you can you can take it yeah. off in the quick fire. I think it, I think it's not necessarily true, like in the early seasons of Top Chef, where, hey, am I even good enough to be on this show? was sort of this thing. But mm. every one of these chefs, by definition, as you said, like, there's no cannon fodder, you know, right? Like, like nobody doubts their abilities on the show even coming in. And now, once you've gotten the final six, that's particularly true. So I did feel a little bit of phone-in vibe from both Amar and Sarah. Mm. Mm. Interesting. I mean, the, I, for these chefs, I guess, if you win one or two or three of them, you can walk away for, with twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. That's true. They kind of threw that in to, I think, heighten the stakes of it. Uh, I don't remember what season they really started. The $10,000 kind of became the typical quickfire prize for sponsored ones. Uh, and you know who's keeping track? Our boy Buddha. Because uh, yes. <laughs> after he won, he, he said in a very Buddha-like way, that's three. I'm breaking records from last season. My own records. <laughs> My, My own, own records. records. But, but, we, but he, you know, he spent some of that money to cure his dog of blindness last year. Yes. Yes. I mean, you've got to I'm that. just, I, I do love that, but I it was, it was that. a classic Buddha where he's, from the pug. he's, yeah, yeah. We got to see the pug and he's like, yeah, I'm smashing can, my own records. Tom, so I, I, I guess when you do yeah. that, you can. Can I jump in here? Cause Kevin and I were texting about this and I'd like your take. I think Buddha is, um, on this season in particular, he's kind of like the best possible iteration of a cocky person. In that he says a lot of things that if you wrote them down, you'd be like, this is a little much. This is a guy who's clearly self-impressed. But the in execution, it doesn't really bother me. Maybe because he's mostly nice to people. Um, and it seems and, and it also clearly comes from a place of confidence, a competence. Sorry, it's not unearned at all. Uh, but you could see like a past top chef character or chef rather having those qualities and becoming a villain, but he never does to me. I don't know why. It's very Steph Curry-like. And when people yeah. are like, he's just so humble. And then you're like, no, what he says on the court and what he does on the court <laughs> is extremely arrogant. Like shooting a three and turning around and running back on defense is the biggest F you to the defense. It's just like such showboating. And it should be considered like the most badass, rub it in your face uh, behavior. It's same thing with like the whole, I'm putting you to sleep. Yeah. Like that whole thing is like total cocky asshole material. And yet he just does it in a way that people find very affable and just charming. And I think Buddha's got similar element to his game where he, again, like you said, on paper saying I'm smashing my own records, that's three quick fires. <laughs> what's up? Yeah, is I, like a very, uh, I don't know, distasteful thing to see on a piece of paper, but he, he pulls it off. I think there is a there's a contingent of Top Chef fan that I've 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 seen that don't like Buddha and my the way mm. I've interpreted it is they find him a little Tracy Flick ish 
Like, I yeah. bring my own mold. I study the show when I'm not here. And I, you know, I scout it. And I, you know, I, I, I almost, it, what, what people don't like about stat geeks, you know, that, that there's something almost mechanical about his precision and his dedication to the show. Like, I'm bringing all these tricks. I'm going to, I'm going to study the show. Uh, and whereas I kind he's of hacking find, the show, right. He's right. hacking the he's... show. And, and, and in some ways, like he is the great like top chef algorithm or something. But then I think in, as me and I were talking about, it's like in the aggregate though, like I just adore him. I mean, A, I just love his cooking. Yeah. B, there is something appealing about a person whose vision is so distinct on a competition show that they can tell their teammate, you know, earlier uh, in the season, um, Hey, your potatoes are inedible. I don't care how good you think they are. We're not serving <laughs> them. Um, and he was right. So there is like dominance is appealing. Like you want, you don't want, it's, it's the old myth that we want leagues with parody. We don't want leagues with parody. <laughs> like we want people who are terminators and, and by the way, watching a terminator lose occasionally is actually dramatic. Um, we Shots don't, the begonia. Yeah. Yep. So, but, um, I, I think that is, I, I discern like there's this Tracy Flick quality that some viewers yeah. find in him. I think it's, it's a bit of a Rorschach test, which is in team challenges. And this has been true from the potato thing until literally this particular challenge, which we can talk about, but a restaurant wars that really jumped out. He is going to take control. He is going Alpha. to, he's going to alphabet. He's going to like just gently but firmly being like, this is what we're doing and this is how we're doing it. Some people are rubbed the wrong way by that. Some people, like, I have to admit, I like competent leadership generally, so I don't, it doesn't bother me at all, but I do think different people will react to that based on their own personal experiences in workplaces and groups. Um, but it's interesting because again, like in the past, a lot of times the chefs who have taken on those roles have been assholes and he's clearly not an asshole. Right. He's just taking charge. It's a very interesting no, personality. Well, no, and, and I'm sitting here with two ENTJs, right? Tom Habershaw is an ENTJ <laughs> and Mina Kimes an ENTJ. I'm an INTJ, but we are all NTJs, which means yeah. is competent leadership is not only appealing, it's sexy, um, it's reassuring. And he is. And yeah, he's not above telling Luciana, your potatoes are not I'm not going home for your shitty potatoes. Like, he doesn't <laughs> say it like that, but he implies it like that. He's not above telling Gabri, you're 20 minutes behind. Yes. Like, yes. like I'm, I, we're not going to go and home. Gabri right. needed that fire. Yes. Under his yeah. ass, and it worked and they won. And at the end, Buddha was like, I loved working with Gabri. Yeah. That's yeah. great. It's great. Yeah. Well, you could see when they announced the beef Wellington, he looked like a kid in a candy store. I mean, it was just, yeah. he was so excited and you could feel Sarah and Amar and others just, I feel like a little bit of a deflation of just mm -hmm. like, oh, this is tailor-made for, for But you know Buddha. why he was? Because you know that dude before the English season had gamed out every British dish they were going to be asked. There was, Buddha knew, no one else would even probably thought to consider, but Buddha knew there is 0% chance that we're going to go to Top Chef in London for 14 weeks and not be asked to do a beef Wellington. Like there is a 100% chance and he knew that. And you know that guy at some point prior to getting on that plane to London made his ass a beef Wellington in his test kitchen. And by the way, good for him. This is a show. There's a lot of money at stake. Like you want people to spend their summer in the gym. So, uh, Mina, I don't know if you know this, but like they aren't allowed to bring recipes or like recipe books. Yeah. They have to have a little black book that they just write their notes. Mm. So, so what they do is as soon as they get there, they all get their bl little black books and then they just start writing. 
They memorize all the recipes, oh, and wow. before they begin, they just have a whole book of recipes in their mind that they've gotten down on paper. And so when Sarah has that kind of passive-aggressive dig to uh, Buddha when she's like, oh, now you're going to open up to your Beef Wellington chapter oh, in your book. Cool. That's because – when they get there, they just have to write down recipes or ideas and put it down on paper because they're not allowed to bring it. Listen, I'm a prep freak. I go into every episode of NFL Live with 40 pages of notes. I'm not going to judge another prep freak. I, <laughs> I mean, you know, that's nothing but respect for my my. I think the NTJ job is the executive. Yes, you uh, are the which, executive. Exactly, which is very much Buddha. So. I like him. I get, yeah, I just brought it up to, I, at the end of that challenge, when he made that comment, I laughed because I was like, some people are going to really hate this. I don't mind yep. it. I don't know. I so like beef, him. beef Wellington, yes. beef Wellington. I, uh, I, I went to the Wikipedia for beef Wellington. Mm. I did some reading. Um, not, not necessarily from the Wikipedia, but I, I came up with, um, uh, an article from the telegraph that cast some mystery and some doubt on the origins of the Beef Wellington. Did you guys know about this? No, there's a controversy. There is a controversy that it has actually nothing to do with the Battle of Waterloo or the uh, the Duke of Wellington, um, that actually the origins are kind of a, a mystery, that the um, the it, it, it's almost like an old wives' tale, that um, they – they're kind of casting a little doubt. There's a, a snippet from this article from the, the Daily Telegraph. Uh, Leah Hyslip um, writes, uh, a quick rifle through British recipe books of yore reveals no evidence of this dish being eaten in the 1800s. The first references are surprisingly all 20th century and even more surprisingly, entirely American. The Los Angeles Times, for example, um. published a recipe for Filet of beef a la Wellington in 1903, though it bears little resemblance to the dish we know today. The Oxford English Dictionary pinpoints a 1939 guide to eating out in New York as the first reliable reference. The tenderloin of beef Wellington, larded tenderloin of beef, roast very rare, allow to cool and roll into pie crust, slice in portions and serve with sauce Madeira. So they don't really know how it got to America, but the very first instance of a beef Wellington is stateside. It's oh, here in America. I, I thought there was this Polish cookbook that said in, in 2010 from a woman named Maria um, Otrowicz uh, Monotowa said that she got it at a in in Vienna. And then in like May. And so this is as early as 2000. Yeah, this I, I kind of love like sort of the, the origin wars. I'm um, not that it ever matters. Um, and it is so like I, I kind of the only reason I believe is British is kind of almost a beef. Scottish egg. I mean, think about sort of this Matryoshka yes. doll. Like the Brits love their weird Matryoshka doll foods, right? Like let's put an egg and then there's sort of this sausage layer and then we're yeah. going to cook it in a pastry and maybe we deep fry it or maybe we bake it or maybe there's a weird little lattice design around it. Like I, I mean, that's the only reason that sort of I, I, I it, it, it's, it kind of looks British is their weird cool. Matryoshka doll. Let's carb up a protein for God's sakes. It's just very brown. It's brown. It's the brownest food. <laughs> it's, which, you know. I, I it looks like to, a pub. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess we have, the turducken is American, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, That's protein our, inside protein. This well, this protein article says, yeah. this article says, after all, by Wellington's time, the English had a long established tradition of meat dishes baked in pastry because oven temperatures Oven temperatures could be hard to regulate, and pastry kept the protein moist. So, 
there is some, you know, uh, I don't know, etymology is the right word, but it, there is some tracing back to the fact that I guess oven temperatures were all over the place and you could just encase this in a pastry and, and regulate it a little bit better. So yeah, there's the history lesson on beef Wellington. There are a lot of kind of interesting components to this. I mean, and I think in some ways it, it, it speaks to the different identities of the different chefs, right? Like there's a reason that two of the three teams went with beef and seafood. And I think the trick is, is and people pointed this out, that the, the the torture of doing a Wellington is you don't know if you nailed your protein until it's, it's terrifying until it opens and by that time it's too late. So you want to go with the most forgiving proteins. And one of the reasons salmon is so ubiquitous in the United States, at least, is I mean, yeah, it's available, but more than anything, it's so forgiving. It's a fatty freaking fish like it is hard to screw up salmon. I mean, you can under season it. You can theoretically overcook it. And actually, no, you can more than theoretically. You can overcook it. And, and it's so funny. Like I, I've gotten to the point where I go to places other than like the east and west coast of this country. Like I was in Atlanta recently and I ordered salmon and I was just like I, I made it very clear. Like my experience is people in the middle of the country love overcooked salmon um, and um, but it is by and large so freaking forgiving. Like it is, if, even if you yeah. overcook it a little, it's got enough fat that you're not going to be like, eh. and same the beef. And it's, and, and in some ways you can argue that like Sarah Namar did a high risk, high reward thing. Like tuna is, can be really dry. Not lamb, yeah. right. Lamb, yeah. if it's undercooked, beef, if it's undercooked, it's tartar. Lamb, if it's undercooked, it's poison, right? Like yeah. it's, it's gamey. And so, you know, it was interesting to kind of right off the bat that Sarah and Amar were just going to be like, we are going to throw caution to the wind and we are going to go with two really unforgiving proteins. Whereas the other two teams just said, hey, salmon and beef, like you can screw it up. But you can't. There's a there's a floor there that I think allows us to kind of go into this stress free. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, the you know, end up being the the creativity versus playing it safe kind of bifurcation, which is the common top chef who are we going to yeah. decide? Um, I think, well, I don't want to skip ahead too much. I think they might've played that up a little bit because the second we saw the protein was undercooked, I think I texted Kevin, Oh, this is over book it. Like, yeah. I don't even need to watch the rest of this, but they tried to like amp it up. Um, I was surprised that they used, as you said, uh, tuna and lamb for that reason. I, I mean, I just, I'd never had lamb in a Wellington before. Um, I guess now I know this is why the degree of difficulty, but I feel like if you're going to take risks in a challenge where the cooking of the protein is the core challenge of it and the pastry and the making sure it's, you know, how they play together, they also took risks with flavor, which is fine. I don't know why you would take risks with the actual choice of ingredients if the execution is so finicky and also the, the challenge itself, like they were all working up to the clock. It struck me as like just poor planning on their part. Um, a little bit foreshadowed by the, this, this, this uh, season has done a good job of avoiding um, predictive edits, as I would call it, where, you know, they really give the game away. And I think that they've gotten better and better at that. But when they hit us early on with the Amar and Sarah, we love each other so much and we're working together. So great moment it felt a little bit like a kiss of death to me. Because um, mm-hmm. that usually almost never bodes well, Top Chef. Well, I, I'm curious about that, Mina, because uh, I, I handicapped this as I think Buddha and Gabri um, actually I thought were the number one team on my big board um, mm. when they did the uh, breaking out into teams. So it was Buddha and Gabri, Tom and Ali, 
and Sarah and Amar. And I know that Sarah and Amar have very similar American um, culinary sensibilities, but I also, in a Beef Wellington challenge, I don't know if I would pick them necessarily to yeah. win that challenge. So Mina, when you saw the teams break out, did you have any sort of um, uh, hierarchy on on who's the best or which one you think is going to get eliminated? Well, I have Buddha on, and I'll, oh, I don't want to. I don't. You guys do rankings, right? So I don't want to. <laughs> that you know, th that's my I mean, Buddha's got to be the favorite um, at this point. Yeah, so. Buddha, Steph, and Ali's LeBron. Although that doesn't really hold right now with the current NBA playoffs. So I guess I who's Jokic? I don't know. Maybe maybe Ali can be. Jokic, I think Amar, but... Amar is Jokic. Like I think. Uh, the goofy, like, like unassuming, like, but how just is he doing this? Crushes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, those two are like my top. So the second the group shook out, I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, it, 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 there's no weak links left. So it wasn't at a point where I was like, okay, there, there's the weak link here. But once I realized it was going to be a, as a, essentially a challenge about technique, I had Amar and Sarah eyed as well. I thought there's no way Buddha is going home on a challenge where technique timing is paramount. And then, um, I just, Ollie's been so dominant. So they seemed like the most likely to me, which isn't, I, I, Amara and Sarah have been, have really avoided the bottom for a long time. I, I don't have mm -hmm. the numbers in front of me. They've been extremely, extremely good and solid, but just because of the challenge in particular, I thought, mm, this seems like the duo most likely to go home. Yeah, I mean, whims yeah. whimsy isn't rewarded as much in this challenge. Like, it is so clear how, you know, focused the judges were on how was the puff pastry? Did it conform to a certain expectation of what a Wellington is? Um, and uh, what was interesting about Ali is, is to the extent that the Tom Ali team had some screw-ups, they were actually mostly Ali. Like, yeah. the things they got dinged for were the cauliflower puree, which I uh, it looked like Ali did kind of all the accompaniments. Um, the onion puree. Um, and, uh, so it, it's interesting. I don't know whether that portends Tom, like going into the final four, do we worry about Ali? He's been so dominant, but like there have been a couple in the last couple of weeks, like he's kind of leveled off. Like, is this a regression or is he actually still, I, I still think he's in, incredibly dominant. He's still a, individually, um, just one of the most gifted chefs still left on the board. But, um, it was interesting that I, I think that the, that, that team, errors were actually with accompaniments and not sort of technicality, which I would have had it the other way. There was one little bit of red herring with techni technique, though. So pretty much through the cooking part, anytime a decision involving an ingredient is highlighted in the show, it's going to end badly <laughs> when it gets to the table. <laughs> yeah. And this was like the xanthan gum. I think there was a point yeah. where like yes. Ali was like, I need xanthan gum. I was like, oh, no. Even though me, yeah. Nina Kives knows nothing about the effect that Xanthan <laughs> gut might have on the, you know, blandness. I was like, oh no, you know, because I watched the show a lot. And the butter and the, when Tom saw, noticed the butter and Gabby's potatoes. But uh, if you guys remember, you know, so a big part of making the Wellingtons is the layer between the pastry and the meat and the duck cells. And um, uh, Buddha was saying that the crepes that they made to protect it didn't work out. So they're like, all right, we're just yeah. going to skip this. And when that happened, I was like, oh no, you know, and it ended up not being an issue at all, which was kind of interesting. Yeah. No, that wasn't, yeah. I, mean, I think my interpretation, I could be totally wrong. was like, was the foie gras, did that end up being the sort of like the, the pate layer, like the crepe, like, so for the salmon, they did a shrimp pate, which is brilliant. Like that's how you do kind of, yeah. you know, to, to sort of do the intermediate layer. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the xanthan gum is funny because I, I got into this phase during quarantine where I really wanted to make those shiny, you know, the little schmear you have on the plate, like with the purees, you know, that, that, that sort of you can make an artsy plating job. I got really into wanting to make really smooth purees. And I was like playing around <laughs> with like, like, you know, sweet potatoes and squash and, and anything that would allow me. And I, so I, I bought all this xanthan gum and this other stuff that they sell that you can make really cool gels and make it all look chefy. And they can totally. And then, of course, being an amateur chef, I got really aggressive with them. And then seriously, I made a frigging like rubber ball once. Like it is like <laughs> if you put too much of that shit in there. Mm. It can really make it, as they say, tacky and weird and gummy. Like I, I learned very quickly that there's too much of a good thing. And like, guess what? Congratulations. This looks really smooth on the plate. You know why? Cause it's fucking plastic. Mm. Um, and I think that's sort of what can happen with, um, with, with, with those gums and, uh, little additives. So I, um, I knew that there was a, like, uh, a infamous xanthan gum moment on Top Chef, and I couldn't place it exactly, but I uh, just did a quick look up. In season 16, uh, Kentucky, Chef Brandon, who kind of looks like a Ken doll, if right, you right, remember, right, 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 right. Um, he used the uh, xanthan gum, and Tom says, what the hell? Why would you do that? <laughs> and so, like, there's already a history there, and so I'm imagining Buddha as he hears or sees the xanthan gum being pulled out. He's like, Season 16, episode seven, you know that that's not what you're supposed to do. I could, I could just imagine Buddha in his encyclopedic memory saying, oh, that's a, that's a fatal flaw. Don't do the xanthan gum. Yeah. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Um, I also think there's a certain bias among a certain kind of classically trained chef against that as being sort of putting chemistry over purity and that like if you have to use it then you've already screwed up right like like if you can't master a sauce or get it to the texture you want or reduce it to its ideal viscosity then you shouldn't be here to begin with like i do get the sense that colicchio is that kind of chef 
where it's like, if you have to use that for a beef sauce, Brandon, like you shouldn't be here. Um, you shouldn't be doing that to your cauliflower puree on what is one of the more classical dishes that we'll put on this show. Um, and it wasn't, I didn't realize that like Ali kind of worked with that kind of stuff. Um, because this stuff has been just sort of kind of brilliant, like both technically, but also classic. And just like, like he has been a sweet spot chef between sort of this season between high cuisine and sort of hominess and technicality and creativity and whimsy. Like he has like one of Ali's brilliances has just been occupying that sort of Chef Gregory sweet spot. Mm. I mean, everything he makes looks like it tastes good. Exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and for me, um, the combination of flavors when he describes them always sounds incredible. And this challenge was not that. I mean, they made like an incredibly traditional. I think they're of all of the six dishes, their beef Wellington was the most traditional sounding yes. of all of them. And Maybe in a in a world where Sarah and Amar's protein is cooked well, the lamb they get punished for that. They probably would have. They'd oh, be out, honestly. So I mean, my read, and tell me, if, I mean, if you agree or not. Like, I get the sense seven more minutes in the frigging oven with that lamb, mm. they skate. They're fine. Like they like the the chef so clearly wanted to reward Sarah and Amar's creativity. Yeah. Like it yep. was like like it you know. It, uh, Gail went to painstaking lengths to say, like, look, that that was not a dynamic plate of food. The the, the beef Wellington that, by the way, technically was cooked to perfection, um, which shaved them. But like it was very clear that um, Ali and Tom's accompaniments were a problem, but also that they got the third out of three rankings on creativity. Whereas Buddha and Buddha and Cabri kind of were the Goldilocks. Right. It was it was they had. Hey, I love that. By the way, can I just say how much I love that Buddha put salmon roe on everything? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just because it, it's these little yeah. cute orange little jewels yeah. and they're and they're Sarah. lovely. Oh, I love salmon. I, I keep it now as and I do that now. He's the um, caviar guy. Right. Of course, he's going to throw in some salmon row. Right. And in some ways, Boudin Gabri's victory is a statement to kind of the Goldilocksness. Like Sarah and Amar kind of went probably fl- flew a little too close to the sun. Um, Ali and Tom were probably too conservative and Boudin Gabri preserved the classical nature of the dishes, but added just enough flourish to hit that sweet spot. Shout out to Gabby, so by curious. the way, for grabbing this, the, the flying gato. He described himself <laughs> in getting the, the salmon row in time. Oh, that was brilliant. Yeah, he, I think that that combination of Gabri and Buddha um, from the get-go, I was just like, oh, that's going to work really well. Because I don't I don't think Gabri has any, um, any belief that he is kind of in that executive role on that team. I think the the role... Depth, the, he, I think he's going to be able to be the the supplement to to Buddha, and I really think that they matched really well. Uh, he, I could see like there be some power dynamics and power struggles between some other chefs, like Buddha and Ali, or Buddha and Tom, especially. I think would be a, a disaster mm-hmm. as a pairing. Um, but I really think that I mean the salmon welly with the the shrimp pate, beer blanc, uh, yet the potatoes are a little too buttery, but everything was seasoned perfectly on all three dishes. Uh, the f- truffle wasn't overpowering. They did the foie gras, the beef tender, beef Wellington, and then the peach Melba, uh, al- almond raspberry sorbet and the tonka bean custard. I mean, Ooh. I don't know about your scorecards, so but mine, I think they were the best dishes in each of the three rounds. Um, I have to say, I, I, so I, I want to do Sarah and Amar kind of go more specifically through their dishes. I mean, first of all, when we next communicate with Sarah, I want a recipe for date black garlic puree. 
Like yes, I just, really I just good. feel like that should be on the plate every time I roast a chicken. Like I'm, I'm, I'm just convinced of this, and I'm, I want the recipe for a date black garlic puree. Uh, I think the one I was, one of the things I've, I've had fun doing is their tuna. I love like the idea of a tuna salmon. Um, Wellington is something I would totally eat, especially with asparagus and the sauce American got dinged. And I was thinking about it because like sauce American is 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 such a guilty pleasure, right? Like it's creamy and it's got a little hint of tomato base, but there's like a liquor component to it. Like it is totally guilty. What if you do the tuna seafood asparagus Wellington with the wasabi cream sauce? Nah. Huh? It's almost it almost is like a rainbow roll with yeah, exactly exactly. Yeah. exactly kind of the rainbow row roll Wellington. Um, but um, I, I do we've got to get hold of that date black garlic puree. I'm going to ask That's Sarah because good. that is like just put a smear of that next to like that Jelena roast chicken I like to do. I mean I just like that is I want to I want that to be a signature of this kitchen now. Yeah, Tom bailed them out a little bit by the way. You remember who went through the kitchen and noticed that they didn't have a wrap. Uh, yeah. on that protein and, and after they mm, left and they do that. Oh, that's inter- right, that's right, that's interpreted his uh his huh huh and they're like shit we gotta do a wrap let's get some spinach in here <laughs> which I always I, I find that to be I didn't it doesn't bother me at all I find it to be interesting because it's when Tom does his walkthrough and it changes um how the chefs approach stuff I actually like that because they're kind of he he's not never explicit about it right um but he might it's the game I mean, within the game, right? It is it's a game like, within the game, yeah. But the tuna have could to, have tasted to very differently Tom. otherwise, I think, if not for that. Yeah, so we – I kind of – when I was watching this episode, I had the same reaction of, oh, they undercooked the protein, see you later, right? Then as they go through Tom and Ali's dishes, it created this dynamic of like, well, what's worse in Top Chef world? Is it under seasoning just about every dish that you serve or is it you undercook the protein? Which one is the cardinal rule that you have violated? It wasn't just undercooked, though. First of all, some of them it was cooked well, because I think when when I can't remember which of the judges, maybe it was Gail. who was like, this is undercooked. Tom went, really? Like, so it yeah. was clearly there was a mix. But when you have people saying this is raw beef, it's over. Rest your starters. The game is done. Like, and I think that the creativity versus, you know, banality kind of thing was played up a little bit to create some semblance of, this is just my interpretation. They Mm -hmm. kept showing the the judges praising the creativity to make it seem like not a totally foregone conclusion. You can't serve raw beef. You can't do it. And and when they went around and talked to the uh, diners who were, you know, did a vote as part of it. And I think one of them was like, this is raw. Like that's yeah. Someone said they couldn't even knife through the lamb. It was over. just so raw, and that that hurts. And I guess that's part of the reason why you don't do a lamb yeah. Wellington, right, Mina? Is is yes, there is a high risk, high reward factor here. Okay. Um, but the other two teams went more traditional, and they're still in the competition. It's it's what makes the challenge. I, what I liked about ultimately liked about the challenge is it is kind of this interesting marriage of cooking and baking, right? Because in baking there is always the moment of truth. You nailed it or you didn't. You have to get everything right, the timing, the ingredients, all of that, the technique. And um, this is, you know, the chefs can usually kind of cook their way out of a lot of that. But when you have something like a beef Wellington where there is this strong oven component and there is this reveal, this is what happens. And there is no way I think this wasn't going to happen to at least one dish of the six. Um, Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and it, there was no way it wasn't going to be the kiss of death when it did. And again, by further belief, like had they had even six 
or seven more minutes. Well, Sarah oven. said it. It was like, should we take it out now? And she's like, I don't know. I kind of feel like we could use a few more minutes. And uh, and mm-hmm. and Amara was just like, ah, I think I think it's ready. It's, they kind of um, took responsibility and, for it too, which I liked. Very likable yeah. to the end. No bus throwing under. What about this? Uh, the British grandma comment from Tom on that dish, the apple with the chestnut duxels and um, apple butter sauce. I mean, that thing looked extremely decadent. It looked great. I, I, I love <laughs> it, it. It's interesting that it, it, talk about Russia tests. Like, do you consider, hey, this is a beautiful Sunday grandma dish to be an insult or a compliment? I, well, I wanted that dish so bad in my stomach. Yeah. It was so good. All the desserts. Looks oh. incredible because I mean the dessert it's just pie they're just making pies like right essentially or like you know pie like dishes but every single one of them start to finish I know you guys like the peach melba but I thought Sarah and Ali um, Sarah and Amar's dessert which was the it, you know it was their version of kind of an apple pie tres leches with the spiced cream looked unreal um, I mean uh, oof, but I guess Tom and Ali that with the Mars I love marzipan with apple. And chestnuts, but the this the, I think was Sarah. They did the orange sauce, right? No, no, that was Tom and Ali. That was Tom and Ali that did the orange. Is blossom, a combination yeah. of flavors I would like to try when they said that. Mm-hmm. Um, so in in like when I was growing up, I was I was telling me like um, Baskin Robbins had this peach melba flavor that was like not in regular rotation, but it was like a thing for me as a little kid. Like when they had it, I wanted it. Mm. Um, and I I love that dessert. What do we think of phyllo dough? Um, it, I'm kind of with, oh. you know, it's like, I'm kind of with Kaliki on this. Like it is a little bit of a hack. It's a little bit is of a, a cop out. out. Do you I really think, think it's, it's a, a cop little out? bit like, and you can always say, oh, it's whimsical. Is it like the Wellington challenge at its heart? As, as Mina pointed out, it is, it is a test in technicality and it's harder to do a puff pastry, right? Like I, I do think he was kind of correct there. Um, that's not to say it doesn't look delicious. And I love the fact that, hey, they they did this frozen element with the um, cream and glaze. So you have to respect that. Like, I don't the irony is, is I don't think they put any less effort um, in total for their dish. But I do. Also, I always find phyllo dough, unless it's a scant, spanakopita, it's always a little unsatisfying versus like a really nice crust like you saw on the apple di- uh, on the uh, other two dishes. Like there is something a little less satisfying about phyllo. By, dough. by the way. Yeah. By, by the way, I wanted to point out what a flex by by Buddha at one point, just like tattooing and latticing his his uh, <laughs> his Wellington at one point, the salmon one where he's just like just very cool and collected. It's just like I'm just going to do designs in my beef Wellington. How crazy is that? You know, oh, those lattices. Like yeah. Yeah, he just just doing the lattices, and it's just like, oh, you're sweating, running around, and just like a puddle because this is so stressful. He's just like, oh, I've got a couple minutes here. I'm gonna like tattoo this. By the way, Kevin, did you see? Shout out to Kimpton Hotel on this episode. Did you see all the Kimpton stuff? Oh yeah, the Kimpton's getting a is is getting a good um is getting a good run this season. I want them to give me back my inner circle status. I lost my inner circle status with Kimpton mm. for the first time in a decade because for the playoffs, I didn't have a lot of Kimpton options um, last you, year. You were a Kimpton when you covered the NBA? Oh, I was, I am, yes, the gay NBA writer is the Kimpton guy. Everybody else is with the Marriott <laughs> Death Star. My shock is more just like, I didn't know all the NBA cities had Kimptons. So, it, so Kimpton oh, over Get ready indexes, for another podcast. Here right, we go. Like, like the, the <laughs> hotel they built across from the Sacramento Why? Arena. 
Milwaukee's best where the team stay is the Kimpton, the journeyman. So like when I tell you it, it was almost and I don't know if it, it's completely serendipitous. I can't imagine anybody in Kimpton was like, who are going to be the really good NBA teams? Where, but like it's the best hotel in Milwaukee. It is the best hotel in Sacramento. Um, they've always run deep in Portland. In mm. Phoenix, it's across from the arena in Phoenix. Is right, the uh, epic still um, the epic in South Beach, right? Or not in South Beach, uh, in, on Biscayne. Like it's yeah. always been the best option in a lot of different cities. And the thing about the Kimpton Inner Circle is like they take care of you. There are only like eleven of us. Wow! And like you get these massive oh. suites, like in Toronto. Mm. Um, when I was doing the Raptors, both in eighteen and nineteen, it was like. You know that thing that happens when you, if they win tonight, they close out. But if they don't, I have to go down to Orlando for like game six for like 36 hours. The staff of the Kimpton in Toronto was like, oh, just leave your stuff in your room. We're not sold out. <laughs> You'll be back for game seven. Like, 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 because it was one of those, hey, if, if they go down to Orlando and win the Raptors, you come back for the next round. And if they lose, you come back for game seven. The staff was like, just leave everything where you want. Like, you don't well, even have to. I, I took it Tell me about bath. the best part of Kimpton. You've left out the best part of Kimpton. Well, they let dogs. They, let, they yeah, love no, I know, dogs. I know that because for my wedding, we stayed at a Kimpton in Philadelphia because we needed a place where we could bring our dog because nope. he was in the wedding. And they're great at that Palomar, right? And so what is the best thing? Like they give me the cheese board when I walk in? <laughs> the fish. Oh, the goldfish. Well, you know, they stop yeah. the goldfish. They stop the goldfish. Oh, they don't give that, you a goldfish? It, no, they don't give you a goldfish anymore. That sounds like so a lot of dead Kevin, goldfish. Yeah, I know it's 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 a I think probably a lot of that is why they discontinued it. But you um, you can request a pet and bring in a goldfish and a little fish tank. And I think it was Kevin, right? You name the fish after an obscure player in the NBA. Right. City I always would, I always like when they when I would check in, it was always named after like a 90s obscure player from that city. <laughs> so that was always like my goldfish name. Like here's um, Rex like, Chapman. It was like yeah. Vashon for Vashon Leonard or something, right? Like it was, um, and, and, but no, I, I, I lost my inner circle because for whatever reason, you know, Memphis doesn't have an option. And, um, but, uh, you know, if, if anybody in Kempton is out there listening, um, I, I would, I would love to get, and they send you bathrobes and lovely, these, that, those Kempton candles. Cause I like the smell of their hotels. And, um, so yeah, I was their best brand ambassador for many years, but, uh, they did get a lot of love. That's where I stay in, in London. I stay at the same hotel with the with the uh, at the at the Fitzroy where the where the contestants are staying. But um, Mina, give us all right. Give us your handicapping going forward. Give us your yeah Top Chef live analysis. Like, how do you see the final four weeks? Like, where are the strengths and weaknesses? Well, What's so, going to so happen? So to yeah, give to give the listeners a little prep here, we we know we haven't watched the latest last chance kitchen, but we know that Charbel eliminated Victoire in the last chance kitchen. Mm. So it's going to be Charbel versus Amar and Sarah in last chance kitchen. And then we have, of course, Tom, Ali, Gabri and Buddha in the main competition. So there's four left in the main and then three in last chance kitchen. And we're going to find out who gets back after this most recent last chance kitchen. And Charbel, Sarah, Amar, that could be anyone's game. I don't, I, that, I truly have no idea who will come out of that. It's really going to just come down to the challenge. I, I, I love Charbel. And I think ever since he made that onion, it's been hard for me to let go of it. I know. Um, <laughs> I know. The very first episode. Yeah. yeah. So I wouldn't mind seeing him. I'd love to see Sarah, who I've really loved this season, back in the mix as well. Mar, as we've talked about, came on strong at the end. So of those th those three, truly difficult to pick. Um, the final four, I feel like, is a pretty clear two-tier situation with Ali and Buddha 
at the top and then Tom and Gabri, both of whom have faltered at various points during the competition. Um, not that Ali, Ali and Buddha both been in the bottom, you know, here and there, but for the most part, they've been not wire to wire, actually, I would say, because Buddha had a bit of a slower start. He was a little bit more in the middle and then kind of yep. has, has heated up. But they, to me, seem to be on a collision course um, that is going to be a fascinating one because they have such different styles of cooking and different the way they talk about food is so different. I want to eat both of their food. I, I really like them both. But uh, that that would be if I I mean, I guess it's usually a final three, but those are the two that I really want to see cooking at the end. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I Ali, Ali uh, had a hubba hubba moment when he got out of bed oh, and they please. shot him. Noted. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I have a crush on this dude and Kevin apparently is like, uh, he's, he's not my type, but what? I'm like when he's, when he's just a total chiseled David walking across and then has the moment Casual. in front of the window. Casual. Holy. It was yeah. like a moment in succession when they let Skarsgård like take off his shirt briefly. I was like, "Where was this in the first half of the season? Come on, you got a lot of bravo." Because he's wearing Come he's on. wearing like bed sheets the whole season, right? <laughs> and then suddenly he takes his shirt off, and it's like, "Oh my god!" Like, like I just feel like Ali, um, he's got to be right there. And then in our point system, the the standings, uh, he's right behind Buddha uh, right now. Let me just pull it up mm. here. We've got. Um, We've got Buddha at 56 points, Ali at 52. Then in a separate tier, we have Amar, who's now in Last Chance Kitchen with 40 points. Uh, Gabri with 33 points behind him even. Um, Sarah at 28, Tom at 32, and Charbel at 30. So clearly, like you could even say there's uh, not even a second tier behind Ali and Buddha. They are just so far ahead of the pack. Yeah, it's um, the, the tears gonna be it's very interesting. I mean, Tom, I, I feel like Gabri, bless his heart, has been skating like has been working with borrowed time for the last six weeks. Like he hasn't actually won a non-team competition. I don't think this season. Um, he really? did well for his po- I, I, hmm. I, yeah. Um, he has he did well with his poutine, I think, um, with street food quick fire challenge. But I'm trying to think of a time where his individual. So I do feel like he has been working on borrowed time. Um, and it, really, that's just kind of organization like he's just not the most poised chef in terms of just execution (laughs) under the gun i want to see his season which he won because it's kind of amazing to me that he's somehow (laughs) not that like he's clearly a brilliant chef Uh, a lot of the food he makes looks really delicious the way he talks about food is super compelling but i'm like how did you not get bumped on in some like timing related error i find that fascinating i view this entire season as a season-long audition for gabri to have his own tv show though yeah, you were saying that. You he think is he is so just funny star and talent. charismatic. Yeah, he totally has star power to me. Um, I love watching him on my television. So t- maybe he can be the next top chef, Padma of Mexico or something. Yeah, you could call there. it the flying cat. The flying cat. Yeah, I think he's he adorable. Was, yeah. When um, when uh, when the the guest judge came into the <laughs> the like walkthrough and he just looks up at him, he's like, "Nice to meet you, chef. You're <laughs> handsome." And I was like, "Oh." He's so funny. I love this guy. They all love He's him. He's so clearly. good. Yeah. I mean, they, they all seem to like each other a lot. But um, yeah, I'm a big guy. Kevin, you fan. said you had to have at least one gay on your team every year. He is your gay uh, contestant on yep. the show. And I I mean, the fact that he's gotten this far in the competition, like Mina said, is just a, a testament to how skilled he is as a chef. But like, 
if there's a fork on the floor, he is definitely going to trip over it, right? If there's <laughs> if there's anything on the, you know, if he if he might forget about a dish or just totally burn another dish, it seems like time management is his issue, not necessarily well how good he is, and he's still in the competition, the final four going into this home stretch here. Shouts to Mina in our draft. I I picked Sam Well who got eliminated. After the first episode, mm. I picked Sam well to come out of Last Chance Kitchen as someone I'd rather have on my team than Gabri. His ideas are always great. Whenever he outlines his plan for the dish, it always and it's it, <laughs> and I've learned a lot about like Mexican cooking. Frankly, watching yeah. there's dishes I haven't heard of. I'm going to Mexico City in a couple of weeks. I can't wait. Um, oh, fun. And I think that's a big part of the reason why he's still here because he is clearly one of the more creative and innovative chefs in the mix. And they they like that. No, he, Mina, um, his stuff is inspired, right? And it and it, it is this wonderful. Um, I mean, it, 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 again, it's not it's not oh strictly a mole game, right? No. Like even uh, the Michiote, like this mm. week was just that that is a he is able to kind of tap the the sort of Mexican comp for whatever silly British food is is being asked to prepare, and um and kind of he knows his identity as a chef. It is just like, he's going to burn the beans though at some point. But in terms of conception, like I think Gabri is brilliant and you're right. It's you don't look, you don't just skate by into the final four. Like you need some luck. You need some, you know, there was this funny and it's only, it's a testimony to what a good natured guy Amar is, but in the holding tank, did you hear the kind of almost like a comment that if it came from Buddha would be like, which is, Hey, Gabri, you're on the bottom every time yeah. and you just skate on by, don't you? Yeah. Like whatever the comment was where if it were delivered by anybody other right. than Amar, it would have been completely aggressive and right. If Tom mean. said that, we, if, if Tom w- mentioned that, you'd be like, oh, that's a that's a dick comment. Right. Like, or that I'd is be not like, cool. oh, you're just being German. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And by the way, look, he, he did another carrot dish. What a shock. Tom did the, the carrot with the beef Wellington for the seventh yeah. time this season, bringing carrot, even though he does it. He executes it very well. Uh, Not surprising to see him do another carrot dish. Mina, uh, we got to wrap here soon, but I wanted to get your your take because um, Padma was on the Today Show the other day, and as I'm prepping, you know, breakfast for the girls, I'm watching Padma talk about the lasting power of Top Chef and why it continues after 20 seasons. Um, Why do you still watch Top Chef? It's been 20 years, and it still seems like it's hitting. I think there's two things for me. I'm, I really like food and eating and dining and I like learning about it. And I think the show continues to be genuinely educational. This is a great episode for that. I learned a lot about food preparation from watching this, a dish that I don't think is interesting. I don't like British food, um, suddenly came alive for me through this challenge. And I think they do a great job of continuing to find ways to do that, to educate viewers. And then the other thing is it's like, I understand, like, you know, we we were talking about the foibles and the mistakes and the red herrings, but for the most part, it's kind of competence porn. Like, we live in a world where most 99% of reality television is the worst people in the world. That's that's a little bit dramatic, but it's, you know, it's, it's disasters, and we enjoy it, and it's ridiculous, and it's people who we wonder why they're famous, and we wonder why they're. Top Chef is an antithesis, antithesis, pardon me, to all of that. It is a show that over time, instead of getting worse and and junkier, has actually grown more refined with a higher quality of comp- contestant, perhaps at the expense of drama. And mm-hmm. I think amidst all of the trash that, I, and I watch a lot of the trash, Love is Blind over here, 
Um, there is something very soothing about watching a group of people who are really, really good at their jobs, love their crafts and respect each other. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the competition aspect, it, it's not so much that we, I mean, we we're glued to our fantasy teams and we, we like to keep the standings and whatnot, but I do think that a lot of that competition aspect of it is not really the draw for us. I think it's a lot of the education, like the fact that they put, um, like little definitions on the screen when they, when they show a new dish or a, a, a obscure dish or a preparation, yeah. they'll give you like the little sentence. Right. And so it, it does have a highbrow element to it, even though it is a, uh, a gimmicky competition where every, you know, every episode you eliminate a chef and pack your knives and go home. It just doesn't seem like, um, it's an easy thing to balance the highbrow and the lowbrow aspects. No, I mean, and you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it, I, I've said it, usually say it once a season, like I watch it because the same reason I watch professional basketball or professional tennis is like, I, I just am in awe of the sheer talent. I cook all my, you know, last night I made dinner, right? I mean, it took me an hour and a half to make, you know, miso black cod and, and, and Swiss chard. But like, I marvel at what these freaking people can do. They're ridiculous. Like I, it yeah. takes me 40 minutes. I couldn't conceive of a dish in 40 minutes, let alone like, like gather all the crap I need and prep it and cut it. And it's like, I think like, that's the thing with me is, is I just, every single week, I am just marveling at the talent. It's like watching someone dunk a basketball, like, like on, you know, multiple times an episode. And I just like, I mean, my, my black garlic and date puree, like I'm all over that. Like while we've been talking, I have ordered black garlic off the internet. <laughs> like this is, yeah. this, this is, this is going to happen this weekend. And I just, the sheer talent, I mean, you're right. Like they've actually, you know, there is that conflict because, hey, incompetence can create the sort of meltdowns that create drama and cringe. You can't look away from the disaster. At the same time, yeah, I think all things being equal, I'd rather watch insanely talented, competent people for for an hour just do things that I aspire to do. Um, yeah. And that's the appeal. Yeah. Which is, of course, like what we we hope for in high level sports. Nobody wants to watch a blowout. Nobody wants to watch the team that you know totally fall apart again we want to watch the best two teams play each other i don't know if we're going to get that in this year's NBA finals but uh uh for the most part it is what we strive for so um before we go last chance kitchen real quick one dish all six tastes they kind of draw knives where charbel had to use salty sour and pungent and victoire had astringent sweet and bitter victoire does a radicchio trevisano uh, confit with red onion and fruit reduction which was just out of this world tom actually was like what are you making uh like almost in a in a critical tom, way and it, then he called he it crazy five different times and she he loved it. it. Crazy. She was like, I'm going home knowing that my that Tom Kaliku called me crazy or my dish was crazy. And she starts patting herself on the back, Mina, because she uses that as a badge of honor that she was basically <laughs> out of just the wacky, crazy dish um, that Tom said it really worked, um, even though there was no protein, even though there was I've never seen anything like that dish. It looked like a, a pile of slop. But it was delicious. Um, and Charbel wins with a, a chicken sea bass or sorry, a Chilean sea bass with spicy spinach, mushrooms, chili oil, toast 
toasted pine nuts and something if I saw on a menu, I'd order a hundred times out of a hundred, uh, looked really delicious, um, hit all the right notes. And so Victoire, love her. She's going home. Um, but I was so glad to watch her on this, on this season at Top Chef. And she gets added to the peanut gallery, which is going to be an amazing part one, part two, probably a cliffhanger going into next episode where we're not going to know until we watch, uh, who is going to make it back onto the, uh, Top Chef finale, essentially, uh, in the, in the final run. Uh, I just think Buddha continues to fly high. Uh, he swept this episode with Gabri. Uh, I think he would have swept this episode, even if he wasn't with Gabri or with, um, maybe with the exception of Tom, I think Buddha is that good that any team he's on, uh, I think it should be the favorite. So I have got, even though he's not on my team, uh, and uh, Kevin, I'm, I'm holding on right now. I mean, uh, that was I one of the greatest lead. Yes. I mean, I got, cause I, the way it worked out is I have, there were three teams, right? This week in the, in the elimination, one was entirely composed of my chefs. One was composed of Tom chefs in the middle team. I have Tom and, uh, and Tom Haberstow has a Lee. So, so it, literally it had to break this way. My team yep. had to win. His mm. team had to get eliminated. And on top of that, I had two contestants, both of which placed in the quick fire. Right. Uh. Like I, I had Buddha winning the quick fire with Gabri getting the, in the top. Like, I don't know that it could have broken with a greater margin. Have we ever had a week like that? I'm hoping this is very much like, um, I hope this is very much like, uh, no, I don't want it to be 2016 Western conference finals. No, no, you know what this is? This isn't, I hate Thunder. to say it. Mina will get it. Cause it, it's like, it, it's tormented me. This is the Falcons blowing. This is the Pats Falcons <laughs> Super Bowl from 2000. Was it 17 or I, I think it was like, like this is insane. I, even I feel badly for you. Like, does like, that make Ali uh, Matt Ryan here? Wh- who who does that make? I think it makes you Matt Ryan. I think no. I, I think know. Tom's Kyle Shanahan and yes, uh, <laughs> Ali is Matt I mean, Ryan. Mina, just so you know, like I had a bunch of people over to watch that Super Bowl. The Atlanta Falcons never make the Super Bowl. I mean, I went to the first Super Bowl they went to against Denver in '99 at the Orange Bowl in Miami. And like the minute in the first two minutes of the second half of that Super Bowl, I just looked at my friends who thought I was crazy. I'm like, I've seen this so many. No. Like, I called. I was like, I was there. I've seen this movie. I've seen this movie. They're going to blow this. Super you Bowl. will appreciate this because it really has a NBA kind of corollary. But I think it was around halftime when I looked at the time of possession and I saw that the Falcons defense had been on the field so long. And that's when I knew it was over. And I can't remember. Or maybe it was a little bit earlier. But um they were. I knew they would just be gassed in the second half because they were scoring too quickly. Weirdly, uh, Wait, why? Yeah. Why? I mean, this is this is nerdy NFL talk here. But yeah. why would a defense being on the floor more the same time as the offense, the opposing offense? Why is it more exhausting to play defense than it is offense? Yeah. Oh. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, it's exhausting so- for the pass rush and getting to Brady. So you got to be able to get to him with four. Yeah, my poor Atlanta yeah. Falcons that year. But yeah. um, closing thoughts so from either of y'all um, before we head out. Um, it was good to see Kelsey. Uh, yeah. Kelsey Barnard-Clark, uh, the winner of the Top Chef Kentucky. That was great. A little pep talk with Sarah. Um, and you could tell, like, you know, I mean, uh, sometimes you see those FaceTimes and you're like, oh, that person's going home. Mm. Uh, they're, they're FaceTime with their family or with their friend, but they've done a really good job. Like Buddha, for example, FaceTime FaceTimes with his yeah. wife and, and his dog. And th- he, he obviously wins this episode. So it's not as much of a foreshadow as, as it used to be on it's, top chef, but it was good to see Kelsey. 
Thank you to the editors for no longer being so obvious. Really appreciate that. Um, I, I think this is a good final four plus one. It's, uh, you know, this is a global all-stars for the first time and they ended up with really nice geographic representation, uh, which, yeah, I think really worked out. We've got Europe, we've got North America, we've got South America, and then we've got the the MENA winner, right? Uh, Ali Wan, you know, or the Charter? Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. So, um, Middle East, North Africa. So, the, I'm, I think it's um, a pretty fitting end to what I've really enjoyed as a season. Yeah. Did you have a, were you heartbroken by a Begonia going home? Just like we were just, we wanted to see her at this point. Or were you she like, Hey, that's part so of the competition. She strong and was so fascinating, but she had a couple of missteps before that, that made me think if it's not now, it'll happen sooner rather than mm-hmm. later. I, yeah. Love her though. Uh, Mina, thank She's you. my number one pick. Thank you so much for coming in. This is always our favorite week. Thanks for having me guys. For Tom Haberstrow. For Mina Kimes. This is Kevin Arnovitz, and this is Pack Your Knives. Mm-hmm.